Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. The concept of a national ID card has always been controversial. At a minimum, it gives government the ability to know where you are, where you have been, where, when you were there, and, uh, well, I'm going to start that over again, okay? Hang on just a minute. Ready to start again? Okay. This is Dr. Dan. The concept of a national ID card has always been controversial. At a minimum, it gives government the ability to know where you are, where you are okay i'm going to start that again sorry one more time third time's a charm here there you go this is dr dan the concept of a national id card has always been controversial at a minimum it gives government the ability to know where you are where you have been when you were there and who you are at every location. Most of us believe the government should not have this information, which leads to the obvious question, why do they need this information? What do they need it for anyway? Serious issues arise when an ID card classifies individuals as members of an identifiable group, such as race, skin color, religion, age, sexual orientation, or political beliefs. Government-defined group affiliation threatens members with potential profiling, exploitation, and ultimately human rights abuses based on genetics or personal choice. History teaches us a very important lesson on this issue. In Nazi Germany, a national ID card identifying the holder as Aryan was required for all public sector employees, including teachers, as of April 1933. After the Nuremberg Laws were passed in 1935, proof of Aryan lineage became even more stringent. Birth and baptism certificates for three generations were necessary just to be considered a citizen of the Reich. The non-Aryan ID cards, usually marked with a J for Jew, prevented the bearer from traveling inside Germany, from crossing borders to leave the country, from employment, 
and from engaging in activities that required government approval. Eventually, of course, the J made it easy to identify Jews for detention, deportation, torture, and slaughter. Americans have a long heritage of liberty. The transition from independence to oppression requires a catalyst, a crisis that causes generalized fear and requires the government to restrict individual rights to protect the people from harm. That's what a catalyst is. The COVID pandemic is the perfect tool to enslave the American people. After our commercial break, we will return with Dr. Wiggy Saunders, co-founder of Robinhood Integrative Health and co-medical director of North Carolina Physicians for Freedom. Dr. Wiggy Saunders will discuss COVID vaccines, vaccine mandates, and your rights as patients. We are back with Dr. Wiggy Saunders of the North Carolina Physicians for Freedom. Welcome back as a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, This is a very important topic, so I'm glad we're going to be able to have this conversation. Yeah, you hear all kinds of info about the COVID vaccine. Some of it pretty scary, to be honest with you. Are there risks and are there benefits to the COVID vaccine? So the simple answer is yes, but the, the details is what matters. So just like with any, any medical invention or uh, yeah, intervention that we do, there are always risks and benefits. And the key is for whenever we're talking about any of these things, whether that's a medication or a supplement or a vaccine, we need to be discussing the risks and the benefits, and then helping the patients make an informed decision. That is, that is the way that we should be handling this. So with the vaccine, there are benefits. I don't think we could, we could really say that fairly that there are not, because I believe that there are some benefits as far as decreasing severity of disease. I've seen that. But we cannot also say honestly that there are no risks. We are seeing that as there's more and more evidence, and there's more and more time that goes on, we are seeing that there are risks, especially for certain groups of people. And that is where we come in as physicians. We need to be having this discussion with our patients. These are your likely benefits. These are the possible risks. And then we can, we can let them make an informed decision. So what really are the benefits of the vaccine? Have you seen real benefits? Sure. So I have. So uh, with the vaccine, I've seen benefits, especially in the higher risk individuals for decreasing severity of disease. I think we, we have seen that. So in like the, the elderly patients or those that have uh, comorbidities such as morbid obesity or diabetes, it does appear to help keep them out of the hospital. I think it does probably decrease mortality. Now, one thing we don't know is how long do the, does that benefit last? There is there's debate about if that is long lasting protection or if that is just very short term protection. And that's why all these, all these boosters are needed. So we do see some benefit in high risk, high risk populations. Now, as the risk stratification of the patient decreases, the benefit also decreases. And that's where it starts to become a lot more murky as far as the risk benefit ratio, because 
you know, on the other flip side of it, let's take a 17 year old, which there is this big discussion in our state in North Carolina that we should that they are trying to mandate the vaccine for 17 year olds where they have very little benefit from the vaccine and there is potential risk from it. So realistically, then let's talk about the risks. I'm sure you've seen some people who have adverse results from or adverse effects from the vaccine. What are they? Sure. Yeah. So there absolutely are are some risks. And I I think that's that's it's uh, disingenuous to say that there are no risks and to say that this is only 100 percent safe and effective. So I have seen more of the mild side of the side effects and the risks, but I do know a lot of cardiology friends that they are seeing more of the severe risks. So the severe risk are more of the cardiovascular risk. Myocarditis is probably the one that is probably best established, especially in the younger population. But me as an integrated medicine physician, I'm seeing a lot of these kind of subtle um, complications or these subtle side effects from the vaccine that no one really talks about. So I'm seeing patients that are coming in with with basically unexplained symptoms since they've had the vaccine. Can we say with 100% certainty that the vaccine caused it? Probably not. But the timing of it and the fact that it started shortly after they got the vaccine, it's tough to, to not draw that correlation. Some of the symptoms that I'm seeing, I'm seeing fatigue get worse. Some of this long-lasting chronic fatigue, uh, where it just they just are not back to themselves. I'm also seeing a lot of pain syndromes get worse, whether that is fibromyalgia, joint pain, uh, specific uh, pain syndromes. Those are probably the two biggest things. And then, like I said, there are some other random things that I'm seeing, like digestive problems, headaches. And again, these are months after the vaccine. Now, we're not saying that this is definite causation, but the correlation is there. And unless you're asking the question, okay, when did these symptoms start? And when did you get the vaccine? And if you, and if you, if you don't ask those questions, you won't be able to potentially see, see the link. You know, that's kind of interesting as, as an ophthalmologist, obviously I haven't seen anything that I can definitely say was related. Um, but on the other hand, a lot of my patients uh, have friends and relatives who have had side effects and they tell me about it. Now that's anecdotal evidence, of course, and I understand the difference, but how about Guillain-Barre? I mean, I've heard an awful lot of people have problems like that. I think there, just like you said, there, there is a lot of anecdotal evidence for severe reactions uh, to the vaccine. I have not personally seen anyone with Guillain-Barre. I don't, I don't really know any doctors that know, but I do know people, whether that's through a colleague or through a friend, where the patient got the vaccine and shortly after they had a major complication, such as a heart attack, a stroke, or they died. And, and it's not hard if you know a group of people and if you're asking around and saying, hey, do you know if anybody had any trouble with this? You'll find somebody pretty easily that had that, again, that, that timing-wise, where they got the vaccine and then something happened to them. And sometimes it does appear to be a very severe reaction. So there is, a, there is the VAERS, V-A-E-R-S, uh, you know, the vaccine uh, adverse effects uh, registry. 
which apparently there are some numbers available there. Are you familiar with that? Yes, I'm familiar with the, the VAERS data. I know that there's some controversy around it, but it is a place for us to start when trying to look for complications. Why would that, what kind of controversy is there about that? I mean, it would seem that people are, you, are, are you saying that people, some of those reports are questionable? Yeah, I think the biggest controversy around the VAERS data is how it's reported because anybody can report a complication uh, to a vaccine through the various database. And so there's, there's debate about how accurate that, that data is. Now, there have been some studies on if this is generally underreporting or overreporting the complications. And most of the studies suggest that there's a gross underreporting of complications based on the various database. Some of the numbers <clears throat> that I've seen really show that the number of adverse reactions to the COVID vaccine far exceeds all of the adverse reaction to, say, flu vaccines for the last 25 years. Is, would that be a reasonable thing to believe? Sure. Yeah. If you look at the VAERS database, and it's, it's a very stark uh, spike that we see as far as re reporting and incidents over the past 20 years, and then you look back at last year, you see this huge spike in reports. So there's obviously something happening over the past year with this vaccine compared to all the past past 20 years. There's a there's a big difference. You know, I would have to say from from my vantage point, uh, it seems to me that the entire country or maybe the entire world was really part of a phase three clinical experiment on this vaccine. Well, I think that I think the experiment is still ongoing. And that's one of the issues with, you know, again, trying to talk about some sort of mandate or this is these are these have to be done by everybody. That is that it, I think it's irresponsible because it doesn't include things that what are some complications that may happen down the road? You know, we don't have long term safety data on on any of these vaccines in specific populations. All we have is short term, short term data. And so we are basically going to be ongoing experiment for the next, you know, five years before we really know what these numbers are really going to look like. You know, one of the problems with this whole COVID thing, uh, this whole is there's just a there are just errors in reporting many, many things. I mean, we have all heard we've all heard about people who've passed away from heart attacks, automobile or motorcycle accidents, all of a sudden coded out as COVID deaths. Um, it's just hard to know what's true. I, yes, absolutely. I think one of the more frustrating things really is how are things being recorded and reported? And in the United States, it's actually abysmal the way that things are being recorded because we're seeing a lot of this data where, where people are in hospital systems are throwing out numbers as far as this is the percentage of people that are vaccinated versus unvaccinated. But, and when we look at the data from you know, the U.S. compared to data from other countries, it doesn't, it doesn't line up. There is such a difference between good reporting from, from different countries, like from Israel or from U.K., where they actually have a systematic approach to recording, and then looking at all these different kind of uh, piece together reports out of the United States, it, it really does not seem to match what we're seeing from other countries. 
And I think it's really a failure about how well or how misrecorded uh, this information is. We could have had a system in place that was, you know, that was precisely recording who got the vaccine, who didn't get the vaccine, who has natural immunity, who has antibodies, who gets who gets hospitalized, who goes to the ICU and who dies. That that data should be available for all of us to be able to see. So then we have a better idea of how effective any intervention we do is. But unfortunately, that data is so piecemeal that you can't even draw a good conclusion based on the data from the United States. Well, I mean, that would probably go along with the, politi the politicization of this disease, because the only thing you're hearing is what makes us the most afraid. That's really what's going on here. Well, and, and it's and it works well, you know, when when they are only presented data that these are the, that they're only going to have problems if you don't get the vaccine, then that is going to make you very fearful. But we can't say that it's as accurate as some of these other countries because the other countries have they have better systems in place to record that information. And I think it's not only working for making patients afraid and just the general population, but it's also working really well to keeping doctors afraid. You know, we're talking about it kind of in our other segment is that doctors are afraid and so are, and so are patients. So on the balance, talking about vaccines and the disease, uh, which do you fear more, the vaccines or the COVID? Mm. Uh, that, that's a tricky question. So for me personally, you know, I, I'm in good health. I take supplements. I know what my risk factors are. I am not afraid of the virus. I've treated a lot of people. I know how to treat this. I know how to take care of people. and I know how to keep them well and keep them out of the hospital. So for me personally, I'm not afraid of the virus. I do have some reservations with the vaccine. I think that there are some things that are, that are unknown. I, th I think there, there's still not enough time to truly determine what someone in my situation is going to see as far as any sort of complications or risk factors down the road. So for me, I said, I, I would, I think that there's a more of unknowns with the vaccine than there are of the knowns with the virus. And to me, I, the things that I know I'm less afraid of. You know, a lot of people talk about the fact that this is an RNA virus. Uh, RNA vaccine. And so uh, the question would be, are these fears that it does change your genetics in some way, are those real? Mm. I don't think we, we know, and I'm not sure if I'd be even qualified to answer that question. You know, there are some physicians and there are some research that are very concerned that this type of vaccine can directly influence our genetic expression and can actually change our genetic material. I'm not sure if there's enough evidence to say that that is happening or not, but this type of vaccine, again, has never been tested in a wide population. And so we, we don't know what sort of problems that there could potentially be. And I think until you start actually doing cellular analysis and genetic sequencing, you're not gonna know if there's any sort of incorporation into the, into the genome. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com.
the right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything, everything, everything gonna be 